You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme this evening... Food writer Dee Laffin has details about how you can support her epic trek to Everest-based camp in aid of MS Ireland. Limerick author Roisin Meany has details about a very novel event she's involved in as part of the Listole Food Fair this November. And Rosemary Bennis has details about some tasty grain-free products. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here on the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Now, it's not every day you come across someone who has taken the brave decision to undertake what I consider to be one of the most challenging adventures in the world. Dee Laffin is a food writer who contributes to the Irish Daily Star, Georgina Campbell's Ireland Guides and is a food blogger for Open Table. And she's also a member of the Irish Food Writers Guild and chair of Slow Food Dublin. And if that wasn't enough to keep her busy, as we speak, she's en route to Nepal to embark on a gruelling 12-day trek in aid of MS Ireland. I met up with her a few weeks ago to find out more about why she decided to undertake the trip. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Dee, it's great to see you here in Limerick and you're off on an epic adventure shortly. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, so in um, just roughly over three weeks now, I'm heading to um, uh, Kathmandu on September 6th to uh, trek to Everest Base Camp in aid of MS Ireland. Is this something that you've always wanted to do or is it just an impulse decision in the past 12 months? Um, I guess I have thought about it for a while. It's not something I've always wanted to do, but I definitely have thought about it for the past few years um, I was diagnosed with MS myself six years ago and I suppose so I've always wanted to raise money for the charity to do something big for them um, kind of take part in one of their bigger fundraisers um, and I saw that they did treks um, throughout the year they do the Camino Camino Way or Camino Trail and they also do Everest Space Camp and I just thought wow that would be an amazing uh, thing to do you know I'd, I'd love to I suppose it appealed to me I, I suppose the tallest mountain on earth and the views and you imagine that it's 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 a challenge that a lot of people do so I felt like it was achievable but that it would be something life-changing and kind of amazing to do personally as well while at the same time being able to raise money for a charity that meant a lot to me as well so there must be a huge amount of preparation heading off on a journey like that what sort of training have you been doing yes so basically um i've always done strength training with a personal trainer in the gym since i was diagnosed with ms um just to keep my body strong but that kind of has extended i'm kind of going two three times a week now to do what we call endurance training which is just more maybe not so much heavy weights but just like a lot of repetitions um and just like working a lot a lot harder getting the heart rate up and keeping it up because the thing about the trek is it's over 13 days um trekking so it's it's not that it's all very steep and climbing and that kind of stuff it's more that it's a long steady 
kind of ascent um, and you know a lot of up and down a lot of going up and getting used to altitude really so so a lot of endurance training in the gym and then obviously hill walking is the best way to prepare for for a trek so I've been getting out as much as possible usually mostly the weekends um, to do long treks on that in that respect as well In terms of diet then do you have to look at your diet when you're training for something like this and bulk up a bit or be very aware of, of how many calories you're taking in? Yeah, you do. I mean, you just have to um, make sure that you're getting in enough. I mean, you can't. It's not a time to go on a diet. You know, the sort of way it's it. It's definitely a time to make sure you're getting enough carbohydrates in that you are. You have the energy. I mean, anyone will tell you for anything, any cycles or triathlons, anything anyone's doing. You just need to make sure your body has the fuel so that you have the energy. Um, I think the obviously you need to make sure that you're kind of eating the right foods as well. So you can't really be piling just loads of calories in. You need to make sure that you're kind of eating properly and appropriately. And I suppose I'm what I'm trying to do is maybe regulate my meals more. Like I'm, I can, you know, there's sometimes be the type of person you're on the go, you kind of skip meals, things like that. So I'm trying to just make sure that I'm eating more regularly and more consistently and, and better kind of making sure my my foods and dinners are full meals are full of good nutrients and things like that but really and then obviously the snacking is so when I'm going out hill walking you know you're making sure you have packed lunch making sure you have energy bars but not ones that are full of sugar you know or that you have some kind of nuts or fruit or something like that with you as well um lots of water that's one of the big things um obviously everyone says that anyway but um, for one of the, the things that counteracts altitude sickness is drinking water. So I'll need to drink up to five litres of water a day while I'm out there. Five litres is best. I mean, the more and merrier. And it just kind of, the as the water flushes through you, it just helps getting used to altitude. So I'm trying to up my water intake at the moment and making sure that I'm drinking like like about three litres of water a day, if not more. And it's just, it's quite tough. I'm going to the toilet quite a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so so it is it is difficult from that perspective um but but it mainly i think it is as well as fitness it is that kind of mental uh mentality of getting your your mind ready for it i think you know everyone keeps saying how you're preparing how's the training going and i'm like you know some of it is just getting my head around the fact that i'm actually doing it and actually picturing myself doing it and knowing that i'm going out there and that every day we're going to be getting up at you know 5 a.m 6 a.m in the morning and you know trekking getting getting all our gear together having good breakfast, heading out, getting into water straight away, you know, starting to drink that and and really kind of, you know, we're going out for long treks with, you know, people I don't know realistically yet until I go out there. So getting to know them, getting to know the terrain and everything. And, and it's going to be hot some days, really hot. And that's going to be hard. No one likes working out in the heat, especially Irish people. Um, but then also, you know, at nighttime, snuggling into hopefully a very warm sleeping bag, which once I get it, um, you know, to try and keep warm because it's going to get very cold at nighttime as well. Um, and then on the day we reach uh, Everest Base Camp, I don't know if anyone knows this, but you don't act, you can't actually see Everest from Everest Base Camp, um, which is really unusual. But the next day where we stay, we we get up in the dark and we get up and we trek up to this peak called Kalapathar and it's the best place to, to view Everest. And we're going to sit there and watch the sunset come up over that. So I'm really looking forward to that. But that'll be like really, really cold. And that's a really 
it's quite a steep climb so that that one's going to going to take a lot of energy that day so so kind of preparing myself you know like the fact that I know that and I know I'm going to have to do all these things and um I have a very very long equipment list as well that I have to kind of from everything from long johns to sleeping bags to head torches to just a big medical you know personal little first aid kit um uh boots you know everything wet gear just so much stuff that I need to get um so it's kind of making sure I have all that as well and obviously I'm raising money for charity so I've been doing a lot of fundraising um for MS Ireland trying to get as much money as possible for them because it's such a good cause and it is a cause close to your heart because you have MS so people might be very surprised that you're able to actually do this yeah. this journey because a lot of people there's a lot of misinformation there about MS yeah. you live symptom free is that yeah. right yeah basically i mean the thing about it that i'm trying to raise awareness of is that i think everyone thinks about MS no more than when I was diagnosed myself or I started to think I might be diagnosed with MS was I picture people in wheelchairs or, you know, that are very um, unfortunately, you know, affected by the illness. And it's just that is there is a certain amount of that. There is a type of MS that can lead to that, you know, can lead to um, disability and, and things like that. But the medicine has improved so much and it's about being, you know, getting um diagnosed as early as possible and getting on the treatment no more than any other illness and that there now are so many people living just living with MS that live normal lives and I don't want to say it doesn't affect their lives because obviously it affects you in so many different ways but that that you are able to have a very normal life um and long life and and that and I'm one of those people in terms of I was diagnosed when I was 30 got on to treatment straight away and I've never had a had a problem since you know in terms of I've I've kept my strength up I've tried to eat healthy I'm more conscious of my health than ever before yes I am on medicine and I'll be on medicine for the rest of my life um, and I am in and out of hospital a lot for MRIs and checks and stuff like that. But, you know, that's just all power for the core. And you just kind of it's more about coming to terms and just letting making sure that you don't let your illness define you as a person and just living your life. And that's why I've never told people before, because I don't think it's something that people need to know. Do you know that sort of way as in I don't want people to know me for that. I just want people to know me for who I am. I'd rather people knew me as a food writer than anything else. And, you know, just that I have my amazing network of friends and family around me. Um, and, you know, they've always been a great support and helped me when I was trying to come to terms with it. And um, like, I just think that people just to be aware of symptoms and just because the thing with MS is if you can get diagnosed as early as possible and get on to that treatment, as I've said. So, you know, things like um, vertigo, uh, pins and needles in your your arms or legs or anything like that lasting any length of time, um, numbness as well, you know, fatigue. Um, and then optic neuritis, which is what I had, is one of the biggest early indicators where your eye you kind of can't see out of it properly for a few weeks. So all those kind of symptoms, just, I mean, I suppose to, to make people aware of them, that if anyone is having reoccurring things like that throughout their life, that, you know, I'm sure their doctors will lead them to that anyway. But just in case they don't, just to, to be aware of that and to support, you know, there are people then as they get older that unfortunately MS does affect them. And they and some people then who do have primary progressive, which is the worst kind of form of it, you know, that they do need care. And so to support MS Ireland, I mean, I did the MS Readathon, you know, when I was a kid and you're in school and it's, it's one of those common names that everyone knows, but I don't know if everyone still supports MS Ireland as much. Because um, there's so many other 
causes now to support but you know it's still they still need as much support as possible and as much funds for it. And how important is having a good attitude towards living with it because you clearly have decided that you're going to adopt a positive approach to it Mm. and that's even coming across now with your in your training and your mental training that you're doing for going to base camp. Yeah I just don't know how how to be any other way because I feel like I just remember how worried I was and how anxious I was and stressed I was when I was being diagnosed and how scared I was like genuinely for anyone who goes through any sort of diagnosis for anything it's it's that realisation it's a really weird bubble that you're in you don't really feel like it's happening to you but it is and then people treating you differently like having to go to doctors and being told you have something and everything and it's a really strange thing and I suppose the way I thought about it was that like okay I have this thing and it might affect me and it might you know it might really affect my life and then it might not but I don't really know so I need to what do I need to do well I still need to go out and I still need to go to work and I still have my friends and family and nothing has really changed you know even though I've been told everything is going to change for me but nothing has so I suppose I kind of said to myself do you know what I I can't sit around waiting for something to happen I can't sit around waiting for these changes that might never come or something like that I just need to get on with my life and I'm not going to just just genuinely not going to let it define me and just you know go out and be positive because otherwise I'd just wallow in it you know otherwise you would just get if you thought about it all the time if you went around thinking like that you would get upset over it so there's no point there's just no point and was MS Ireland a good support for you and a good source of information whenever you were diagnosed at the start yeah no they were genuinely like I mean I contacted them to let them know that I had been diagnosed and I suppose you become like a a member of that community um, and of them and they they actually somebody came around to my house um, when they're kind of uh, I don't workers came around support workers and um, helped me just kind of just chatted to me you know we just came she came over a few times and had a cup of tea and we sat down and just talked about it and she just said even you know how you might be able to deal with with talking to people about it because I think and it still is one of the weird things and even talking now even today it is just a weird thing to have to explain to somebody that or to tell somebody that you have something it's a weird thing and sometimes part of it is dealing with how people then treat you or 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 how people see you you know and it's 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 like you don't want to be treated any differently I don't want to be judged or or treated any differently um but so you're having to kind of get used to explaining to people what it is and getting used to that and making sure that you're okay with that as well and you don't you know get annoyed with someone if they ask you about how you are or but also equally you know thank them when they give you that support and and offer that that help or you know make sure ask they ask if you're okay you know that sort of way but um MS Ireland are definitely a great support and I know that I've met a lot of people obviously with MS now as well because you have that in common so you share that that knowledge when you meet somebody or they say it and I have met a good few people and some people I know who have had problems with symptoms and things like that and um, you know the the support they've received and their families have received from MS Ireland has been amazing so it's it's definitely one of those worthwhile causes. Will you be documenting your your trip on social media? Can we follow you when you're there or will you just be focusing on the task at hand and let us know afterwards how you get on? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I won't have coverage after a certain point. So I'll be on definitely Instagram, 
Twitter and Facebook you can find me uh, under my name and I'll be putting up photographs as we go along um, and little video clips but at a certain point I'll lose contact with people for a few days or a week or something so you'll have a digital detox yeah yeah exactly so but I'll be back and I'll be posting I think a lot once I come back you know as well I am going to document everything while I'm away and then I'm going to share that with everybody when I come back because obviously even though I'm finished with Trek I still if people still want to donate to the cause I mean you know that'd be amazing but um yeah so if anyone wants to follow what I'm getting up to I'm sure there'll be a lot of videos of me puffing and panting uh, with beautiful scenery around me but uh, me looking sweaty and overwhelmed I think is what uh, people can expect. And tell us how we can support you, where can we go to get details to sponsor you? Yeah so the best way is um, I have a sponsorship page um, on justgiving.com which is a really reputable uh, charity website that a lot of people use if they're raising funds for something. So if you go onto that and just search my name, D Laffin, um, it'll come up. I, I've called it D's Everest uh, Base Camp Trek. So you'll you'll see that there. Um, but search on that and then you can donate on that. Um, or, I mean, at the very, if, if people don't want, if they want to contact MS Ireland directly, you can do that and just say you're donating in my name I'm sure they'll be happy to do it that way as well. Have you got a target? Yes, I do. I have a target of 5,500 um, as a minimum. I'm hoping to make it to that. So um, it looks likely that that I'll definitely achieve that. So I'm delighted with that. But obviously, as much money as possible is what, you know, you want to raise as much as you can. So I would love to think I'd be able to kind of get um, a few grand above that. But we'll see. We'll see well, how it goes. Congratulations Thank on you. your brave decision. It's not something I'm sure that anybody would would do lightly. I certainly wouldn't do it in the month of Sundays. <laughs> so I've huge admiration for you and I wish you the very best of luck with it and thanks for telling me about it today. Thanks so much, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to food writer Dee Laffin about her trek to Everest Base Camp to raise money for MS Ireland and as Dee said 5,500 was her target and she's actually surpassed that by almost 50% and has clocked up a whopping 8,000 which is absolutely amazing so well done Dee and I'm sure you'll join me in wishing her the very best and as I speak she's en route to Nepal so... I can't wait to hear all about it when she returns. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, I'm out in Newcastle West's answer to the happy pair when I talk to Rosemary Bennis in Sona's health food shop about a grain-free diet. Next though, it's time to hear from Limerick author Roisin Meany who has details about her new diet, a novel supper taking place in Listole, County Kerry and an entry for the Eurovision Song Contest. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. 
Great to see you, Roisin. How are you keeping these days? I'm very well, Sharon. Thanks for having me on the show. You're writing at the moment. Can you tell us a bit about the latest book? I can. Um, It's early days. I'm still on the first draft. I'm about two thirds through, so um, getting there. Uh, I hope to finish it by about November, but it's not due out on the shelves until next May or June, so plenty of time. Um, It's it's, uh, roughly... um, based around a weekend. Uh, It's not all the weekend, but the main part of the action is spread over a weekend. So it's a challenge um, trying to find enough to write about um, for, you know, 300 odd pages when you've only got about three days to work with. But uh, yeah, as usual, I'm enjoying the challenge. And you always incorporate food, meals, family gatherings into your novels and you cook quite a bit yourself. Oh, I do, Sharon, but I wouldn't call myself a cook. I, I'm When I'm cooking, I have to stick rigidly to a recipe or it all goes horribly wrong. And even when I stick rigidly to the recipe, sometimes it doesn't come out remotely like I was hoping it to or like it looks in the photograph. But, you know, having said that, things are generally edible, if not, you know, beautiful looking. So maybe I'm not too bad. Do you prefer baking to cooking? Much prefer. Yeah, I'm a definite baker at heart. In fact, that was one of my early dreams to be a baker and have my have my own little shop. Never worked. <laughs> You're very careful about what you eat because you've recently been to see a nutritionist. I have, Sharon, because I have, I have ongoing muscle aches and pains since about April. I just got progressively stiffer over the course of a few days without having any reason for it. I hadn't been to the gym doing a big workout or I hadn't been doing any unaccustomed, you know, manual labour that would account for it. So to make a long story short, I was tentatively diagnosed with polymyalgia rheumatica, which I'd never heard of before. And basically it's um, an inflammation of the muscles for which there is no known cause or cure. But the diagnosis or the treatment is generally to, to take steroids, uh, which kind of dull the dull the pain and take the edge off it without actually treating the condition, um, which eventually, hopefully, goes away of its own accord. So that's where I am at the moment. I'm on steroids. But I heard about this nutritional therapist. A friend of mine recommended her. Um, and she had similarly been diagnosed with polymyalgia rheumatica a few years ago. And she said when she went to this woman, her, her whole food regime was changed and when she ate and how she ate and what she ate and what she did otherwise apart from eating um, you know as when she uh, switched off the laptop etc so and she highly recommended her she said she made a great difference to her so I said I'd try it and I went to see her so now I'm on my new regime and uh, I've only been on it a couple of days so it's too early to tell but I'm hopeful (laughs) Well tell us what you're not allowed to eat let's start with that Right I in my innocence thought my diet was very healthy because I eat a shed load of fruit every day Now I'm talking serious amounts Um, I'd be embarrassed to actually specify what those amounts are but let's leave it at a shed load So but when I reported this to the nutritional therapist she said well you know fruit is very high in sugar and I said well yes but it's natural sugar and she said it's still sugar so I am now rationed to two pieces of fruit a day. I nearly fainted when I heard that. Um, and as many vegetables as I want. For fish four times a week, she's recommending. Eggs as a good source of protein. Nuts, which I wouldn't normally have eaten. Just not being that taken with them, but um, I'm now eating them. Um, Greek yogurt, organic preferably. Seeds, lots of seeds. Lots of herbs and spices. 
um, porridge, but not all, not every morning, which I thought was the healthiest breakfast you could have. But again, she said there's a bit of a sugar issue with it. Um, uh, yeah, so so it's a bit of a change, but not a huge change. I think the biggest change for me is the the less fruit. But you know, I have to say I'm fine with it so far. In fact, I had no fruit at all yesterday, and I didn't miss it. And is it like you're substituting it with something else, Sam? Because would you have eaten it? to snack yes. or was it nearly like a habit I, I was grazing is what I was doing rather than eating proper meals I was really grazing I had a normal breakfast in the morning which would typically have been either a bowl of porridge or a boiled egg with a bit of brown homemade bread or um, some yogurt with honey stirred through it or maybe a, a combination of some of those and then for the rest of the day basically I was snacking every time I passed the fruit bowl I would dip in every time I passed the fridge I might take out a bit of cheese put it on a cracker um, and, and snacky things like that all day long. Now, um, the, tr- the therapist has told me, have three meals a day and time them, she said, and have them at the same time every day. And then you won't need the snacks. And it's come to pass. I haven't snacked at all. But in the do last you few think days. it's a lot to do with working from home? Because I know when I'm working from home, that the fridge is constantly there calling you, come and take something out of me or the cupboard, come and take something now to eat. Yeah. That it's it's very hard not to, to be greasy like that yes, all the time. Yes, that's what I would have said before Monday when I went to see the therapist. Now it's Wednesday and so far so good. Um, I'm not in the least bit hungry now. Well, I've just had lunch now so you wouldn't expect me to be hungry but I wasn't hungry once from breakfast until lunch. Normally I would have taken at least two pieces of fruit probably just because I was bored more than hungry really. Um, but but um, no, like I say, I just don't feel the need for it, uh, whether it's I don't know whether the boredom I don't know how the boredom could have cured itself, but uh, and and like I say yesterday I had no fruit at all, and uh, that would have been unheard of. And it sounds like it's a diet; it's very high in protein, or she's trying to increase your protein intake. She is, and also to increase foods that are good for inflammation. She's saying have lots of anti-inflammatory. One of the things she recommended was tinned oily fish, um, yeah, anchovies, which luckily I love. Um, sardines, um, anything as long as it's in oil. And she said, mash in the fish with the oil to make a paste as one way of eating it and spread it on a, on a bit of bread. Or um, use the oil, if you're not mashing up the fish with it, use the oil in a dressing for a salad. So um, that's, and nuts, she said, are good because they have lots of oils in them too. Um, you said bread there. Bread. Bread's w- usually a big no-no. Uh, minimal bread, minimal bread. I wouldn't have eaten a whole lot of bread, but I would have thought having my own brown homemade soda bread that, you know, it wasn't a crime. But uh, she said just keep it, keep it to a minimum. So. And you make your own bread then? I do, I make my own bread. And what, what, are, what are your ingredients for that? I, I have a wonderful recipe that I got from the Avoca cookbook. So it's got five different types of flour in it. It's got, it's got the white, it's got the wholemeal, and then it's got pinhead oatmeal. Um, it's got uh, oat flakes. And um, what's, the, what's the fifth one now? It's another type of, some kind of bran, I think. It's just a while since I made it now. Um, and then it's got treacle. It's got a little bit of melted butter. It's got an egg. It's got the buttermilk, of course. Um, and it's got caraway seeds, which give it a gorgeous flavour. I hadn't had caraway seeds in years before I made this recipe. As far as I remember, the last time was a cake my mother, my grandmother used to make, a caraway seed cake. And as far as I can remember, I wasn't mad about the taste as a child, but I absolutely love it now in the brown bread. Well, it sounds like there's no very bad ingredients going into you that. You see, you would think, wouldn't you? Um, now, the treacle, I'm not sure how good or bad that is. There is a little bit of brown sugar, not a lot, but... Um, 
But but according to the therapist, there is an element of sugar in the, the grains as well, in the flowers. And it's obviously then sugar that she wants to try and detox you yes, from. Yes, yeah, yeah. She said that sugar is, is not good, really. It's I suppose it's not good in general. Well, you have a great attitude towards it, which I think is the first thing that you need to have whenever you're changing your diet is to have the the mental the capacity and the mindset exactly to, well, to go after it. I suppose it's in my interest because I am hoping to get off these blinking steroids. Sorry for saying blinking on the radio um, to get off the steroids and to just uh, have, have, you know, kind of a natural fix as in the food I eat. Another thing she said to do was don't drink water half an hour before eating don't drink water an hour after eating, which I thought was very unusual. I would always have water with my lunch and with my dinner, if not wine, but normally water. Um, And another thing she said was switch off the the screens um, because I have an issue with sleep as well. Switch off the screens before you go to bed and no caffeine. No caffeine after 2pm. Did she explain about the water, why you shouldn't be drinking water? She said it inhibits digestion if you're drinking water at the same time as eating food. Yeah. And do you have to drink two litres of water a day outside of that? Yes. She said She said I was drinking too much liquid because I drink a lot of herbal teas, not knowing that they were counted in your water intake. So she said, reduce your water intake because I was eating, I was drinking a lot of sparkling water as well. So she said, less sparkling water and more herbal teas. Uh, yeah. And another thing for the information is turmeric, but any spice really, but particularly turmeric, which luckily I love. So I'm throwing that into anything I can think of. And it's very good for arthritis. Apparently. Exactly. Yeah. yeah well, you look it. wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> it's obviously working for you. Hopefully. You have a very exciting event coming up this year in November as part of the Listowel Food Fair. And it's because of the, the foods and the meals and the dishes that are in your books. Well, Sharon, it's it's very exciting. I've never done anything like this before and I'm absolutely dying to do it. Um, it's in conjunction with Lizzie's Little Kitchen, uh, who everyone in Listowel and beyond knows all about. Um, and basically, it's Lizzie taking some of the dishes that I would have mentioned in various books and, and concocting a three, four, five, I don't know, course meal out of it and people coming along. And then I presume we haven't really ironed out the nitty gritty yet, but I presume I'll be giving a little, just a little chit chat before each course and explaining the the context of the of the dish. Will you be cooking it with Lizzie? I'd say Lizzie would would probably uh, hope fervently that I won't be. <laughs> I think I'll be there if she needs, you know, things chopped or peeled or something harmless like that. But I'd be happy to leave all the cooking to her. Oh, I don't think she'll drag you into the kitchen for that. Maybe for a bit of pot washing if you're available afterwards. I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're no stranger to Listowel because of the Writers' Week. Oh, Sharon, I love Writers Week. It's one of the highlights of my years, actually, and I hate to miss it. Whenever you're down there, are you down there to listen to the speakers? Do you contribute? You you do your lovely storytelling for the children, for example? Yes. In previous years, I have been asked to do storytelling. I haven't now for the last couple of years, but uh, I always enrol in a workshop of some kind. I don't really mind what I do because they're all interesting, you know. And in fact, sometimes I try and do something totally out of my usual thing, i.e. writing. So this year I did songwriting. 
Um, and that was very interesting with, with the great John Spillane, the courtman. And did I see on social media you're writing the, the next year's entry for the Eurovision? Yes, I've, I've optimistically decided that I have the winner in the bag. All I have to do is convince RTE to take me as a contender. So I'm in the process of getting somebody to put a backing track to it because that's not my expertise. I've written the words and I've made up the tune. But all I can do is sing it because I, I can't play any instrument. So I've, en- I've enlisted the help of this uh, young Hungarian, actually, musician who's do- doing a, a master's in music at the moment in Trinity in Dublin. So she's working on the song at the moment. And I have high hopes. Watch this space. <laughs> and when can we expect to hear that? Well, the next step after this girl has done her thing is to get it recorded. So I have a recording studio man lined up in Limerick and he's all set to go. And then I will submit it to RTE. And who would you like to see perform it at Eurovision or do you want to do it yourself? Oh no, I'm too long in the tooth, Sharon. I'd love to have done in maybe 30 years ago. I would have been up there with the best of them. But no, no, I wouldn't. Um, I, I, Gee, I haven't even thought about who I'd like to see because I'm think, I think I'm not thinking beyond RTE really, who may well say thanks but no thanks. So maybe not to let myself down too badly. I'm not thinking too far ahead. But do you envisage it as a female artist or a male I artist? I do. I do for just in terms of the lyrics because I wrote it with my mindset um, and it's it's called I think I can I can tell you it's called Broken Things and it's it's very optimistic it's very upbeat um, but it's kind of written in a female voice um, and it's it, there's lots of hope in it and I just think it's the kind of song we need in this day and age with so many awful things going on we need something positive and hopeful and and anyone I've sung it to because of course I've inflicted it on my friends at dinner parties and things they've all said they were singing it the next day so it is catchy you know Um, so I do have high hopes so you never know I'll keep you posted go for it there let's hear it oh no I won't no I couldn't I couldn't Go on, take a deep breath there, oh. and you have to let us hear it now. That you right? I, okay, I just sing the fir- first four lines. I probably forget the words now because it's a while since I sung it. Okay, this is how it goes, roughly. <gasps> I love cats and lights on strings, music and laughter and broken things, wind up radios, holiday flings, all those beautiful broken things. Excellent. I think Dana should make a comeback and sing it for you. <laughs> you know, it put me in mind of all kinds of everything because the song, that's the chorus of it. Well, it's one of the choruses. So I ch- kind of change the words with every chorus. But the song, the, the verses are kind of lists of things that this character likes. But they're all things with something wrong with them because the thinking behind the song was that everything in this world is flawed. People, things, there's nothing perfect. So if we want to live a happy life, we have to learn to love the broken things and love the brokenness in us and in others. That was that was my thinking when I wrote it. So there's a message with it as yes, well. As, there's a subtle message. <laughs> as the, the acoustical enjoyment of hearing it. Absolutely. Excellent. Well done. Well, I think, I think you. you're definitely on to a good thing there. Well, as I say, I have to persuade the, the powers that be in Montrose. I think they have the final say. So we'll see. I think you, you can submit sometime in the autumn. So I'll keep an eye out. Thanks for telling us about that and about the novel Supper with Lizzie. We look forward to that in November and we'll have more details about it closer to the time. But best of luck with the diet. Thank you so much, Sharon. And great to see you. You too. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. 
Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Limerick author Roisin Meany about her writing, her efforts to change her diet in light of a recent diagnosis and subsequent visit to a nutritionist and the event she is hosting in November in collaboration with Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen during the Listowel Food Fair and I'll bring you more details about that event closer to the time. But if you want to see Lizzie Lyons in the meantime I have heard that she's going to be doing the cookery slot this Sunday on Sunday AM on TV3 so you can tune into that if you'd like to see her in action. And earlier in the programme, food writer Dee Laffin had details about her epic adventure to trek to Everest Base Camp to raise much-needed funds for MS Ireland. And you can support Dee by visiting her Just Giving fundraising page. If you are just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am or check out the podcast on SharonNoonan.com or on iTunes or use the podcast app. Or you can also hear it on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now, earlier today, I was out in County Limerick and I called to see Rosemary Bennis in her Sonus Health Food Store, which I view as Newcastle West's answer to the Happy Pear Food Store. And this morning, Rosemary's chosen topic was grain-free diets. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rosemary, we're going to talk about a grain-free diet today. Yes. That sounds a bit bizarre. Why would people go off grain? I know, I know. It's first gluten, now grain. What's left? <laughs> I know. It's, it is a thing. It's a thing that sort of peaked, actually, in, in, in popular kind of popularity, say, last year. I think really was a peak year for it. But it's quite an interesting theory. It's, it's actually a dietary approach, um, some people find it very helpful for digestive problems. Uh, some people just feel better on it, or over, energy-wise. And then in terms of, there's, there's a deeper therapeutic reason for it as well, um, where people are compromised with autoimmune conditions, of which it's one protocol. So there's a bit in it. But keeping it basic, what is a grain-free diet? Or it's known as the caveman diet or the paleo diet. Paleo is paleolithic, coming from time when there was basically no agriculture as we know it and that's the key thing is that man hunter-gatherer diet uh, we hunted we fished uh, we had uh, things that were above the ground accessible food when we didn't have food our ancestors went hungry and then feasted you know when there was a, a hunt or a catch or whatever but there wasn't tilling of the soil um, tending of the soil it was pre-agricultural revolution pre that time where we actually planted stuff and and harvested whenever i think of paleo i think things like meat yes um things that you pick off a tree yes like you don't have to do any real work to cultivate them basically exactly that's it that's it it's not it's a little there's a link with foraging really as well because that is kind of going out into the woods with obviously with your safe head on and, and, and not just randomly picking things you don't know if they're safe to eat but you know picking nature's fruit and nature's harvest what's there um, and not so much it's a different uh, way it's, it's, a, it's avoiding the foods that we would cultivate which are typically grain and um, so that's why it's called grain free so would yeah. there be a lot of protein in this sort of diet or a lot of the foods very high in protein yeah I, I guess so um 
I suppose because there is a good bit of meat in it, um, but then it's balanced by a lot of veg as well. Um, a classic, the, the, the true paleo diet is actually everything above the ground. So you wouldn't have starchy vegetables for carrots, potatoes, um, turnips, whatever, but you would have leafy veg and gr- veg grown above the ground. So it is more, it is, it is probably more protein rich, which is why it really appeals to sports people. And actually, that's where it kind of took off really in recent times was for people who were kind of cultivating more lean muscle mass and being more, you know, they were really more into athleticism and, 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 and training and all that kind of thing. They found it, it is a naturally low carb diet, actually. You know, having said that, there's, plenty, there's still fruit in it, there's berries, there's still starch in your veg. So it's not exclusively, but it does tend to be a bit higher than our conventional diet, which can tend to be packed with the breads, you know. Well, I mentioned protein there. And one of the, the items on a lot of people's shopping list, if they are into a high protein diet, is protein bars. And you have paleo bars here. Yes, we do, which are literally, it is a protein bar without the grains. So that's it. Very often protein bars, um, like any bar, you know, they're flapjack based, they're oat based, there'll be a bit of um, wheat syrup for sweetening, there'll be all sorts of grain um, derivatives in it, and um, which is fine. That's just the way they are, you know. But this is taking it a little step further for people who don't want the grain and they, the base would be nuts and seeds and dried fruit for sweetness. So like cashews, almonds, brazils, nuts and dates, raisins, that sort of thing. And then you'll have your fruit, um, maybe dried fruit for flavour or cocoa for flavour. And then the, this particular one adds um, pea protein or you can get whey protein. Well, talk us through this one. What's it called? Yeah, this is, and it's new actually. I've just got it in. It's it's quite unique because it's all the ingredients are, it's 100% organic and it's also 100% gluten-free. So it's very, su- it, it, and it says that on the label, which is reassuring for true celiac. Um, but yeah, the, the main the main two ingredients, dates and almonds. And if anyone who makes any kind of sweet little nibbles and balls and truffles and nuts and things at home, these are really, that's your base for a lot of things. You grind up your almonds, ma- um, make it kind of a paste with your dates. And that actually, <laughs> together, is just gorgeous. And then you can flavour it with the more. This one has some more cashew nuts, a little bit of sweetener, some cocoa powder, but it's a pinch of salt. And that's it. And then the protein added is pea protein, which is quite a, a nice protein as well. It's not, um, this one isn't going to make you bulge into like Popeye or anything. Do you know, it's, it's just a decent staining and it's quite filling and there's quite a bit of chewing in it did you say pea protein, <laughs> protein. So pea as in pea yes, exactly okay. yeah that's true i should so clarify that yeah. pea protein is a thing yeah you mightn't be aware of it actually we're more used to the protein source from milk which is the whey and that's a very good protein source that's why milk is so nutritious for some certain people they find it works well but obviously as an extract it's very nutritious and it really helps muscle repair and actually not just muscle repair but we've talked about this before but, but your immune system really really important it's not just about bodybuilding at all actually balancing your blood sugar and immune immune system keeping you topped up for for fighting infections really helpful um, but you can get it from vegetable sources so some people don't want the dairy source and so this is from pea and pea it's very um, high yielding actually um, you can also get it from rice you can get it from soya it's probably something else I'm forgetting so yeah there's other sources so is this product dairy free yes okay. see it suits it ticks a lot of boxes for people who have a restricted diet that's why but it's also really tasty actually and it's lovely and one of the things is that some protein bars can be very full of ingredients that you don't really even understand what they are I mean I, even I'd be pushed to understand them so they can be a bit processed um, so I like this one because it's very natural really 
So the range is called the Paleo Crunch. Yes, Paleo raw. Crunch. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the flavour. This then. is just a flavour. They have a cacao flavour. They have a pecan, which is really nice. I like that one. A raspberry, and they do some with the added pea protein and some without. So just the ones without are just a natural nut and seed bar, really. Isn't it funny how packaging and the colour of packaging can catch your eye? Because I would be drawn to the raw raspberry because of the pink colour mm. of it. Mm. Uh, to me, it looks more friendly and <laughs> yeah, no. more tasty. Yeah. than the others because yeah. of the orangey brown colours. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Um, the, the appear, we shop with our eyes. We eat with our eyes mm. as well and we definitely shop with our eyes. Um, it's interesting. This this range, it's com- It's a Swedish company make it and it was. I was just talking to the, the supplier and he was just saying that in Sweden, the raspberries, their top seller, they're really into raspberry and berry flavours and not so much in Europe so every cult- every country has a different kind of yeah, t- swing you know every culture but it different. is yeah it's a big thing about the look of a product and um, there's another one here and actually it doesn't really jump out but it's a really nice bread this is an Irish product it's called Caveman Grub and what they've done is they've made a bread mix that's grain free so the thing to say is these really suit celiacs as well which is an obvious one you know what I mean you don't have to be into any particular diet if you just know that grains irritate your gut these are really it's a really handy way to go um, but this is an Irish company from kind of Galway and a really really lovely bread mix and what they have is the base of it is ground flaxseed and also ground almonds and you add eggs and water and bingo oh by the way e- eggs would be would be fine in your paleo diet as well but this is a really nice bread mix and it's very filling and tasty and you can't go wrong with it. <laughs> a nice packaging there, the li- the light blue and the grey. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's sedate. I think end. it is. It's quite it's refined. I think. Is it an expensive product? I don't think it is. It's like it's just over a fiver, and I think it gives you a loaf of bread for one person for the week. So okay. I think that's all right. You know, you see, people. Some of this, I have to say, some of the paleo stuff is expensive because. Again, you're aiming. If you're getting your meat, it's all about grass-fed meat. Obviously, why would you bother getting? Do you know? meat from animals that's that don't see the light of day so and also the big part is the nutrition in the meat the the omega-3 content and the nutrition content is massively different in a grass-fed animal so that's one one thing that can be more expensive and also um in the on on the the the, the non-meat side nuts and seeds are expensive they are you know and worldwide demand for them has shot up in the last mm. 10 years so like right now we're, we're seeing a massive hike in Brazil nut prices it's doubled in the last year because there's, there's a harvest crisis so there's not enough to meet supply so sometimes these things you kind of go god three euro for a pack of nuts what's going on that you could eat in a day yeah, and, you know and we we talked about this before about Four quinoa is quinoa from is it Bolivia it yes. comes from and that the demand had yes. gone up for it but the supply wasn't there so it had doubled it had or doubled absolutely there was a time I think sometime last year before quinoa was about 9 euro a pack that's gone way down now again it settles after a year but it takes about a year to come through so sometimes for a customer I can appreciate why why is that so expensive but a lot of it is the commodities market behind the scenes that retailers like would have no control over mm-hmm. actually it's interesting with the quinoa that's been grown in the uk now and we get the, the supplier we have it's uk grown which is great so it's not coming from you know there's plenty of people taking the bolivian one and um we have much more local supply so you never know there might be if it suits the uk climate it might suit, suit ours so yeah. for someone looking to and, diversify you and know? if it does suit yeah. the uk then you could have irish growers yeah. coming, coming along in the near future you could. it's highly prized and um yeah, it's a highly prized product, and I think it's here to stay. Quinoa is a, is a, a gluten-free, um, very quick cook, 
easy to cook, uh, light, uh, filling yet nourishing but not heavy in the tummy, and it's it 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 it, it suits sporty people and training people because it has got a higher protein content. So yeah, I think for some in Ireland we have so many celiacs, both diagnosed and undiagnosed. I think quinoa is a great product. Yeah, interesting. Yes, very it interesting. is. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, this looks yes. now this looks like my cup of tea with a cup of tea. Oops, as Sharon drops it onto the floor. It's a handmade biscuit. This looks it is. this looks really yummy. A peanut butter cookie from the Green Free Pantry. Tell us about the Green Free Pantry. Well, the, I I love the Green Free Pantry and I love. Mary Ryan, the woman who who is the Grain Free Pantry. She's a marvellous baker and she's based in near Capamore in Tipperary and her business is solely on baking with grain free, grain free goods and uh, grainfreepantry.com I think is our website look it up she does a whole you can buy direct from her but a couple of years ago I decided to um, because it suited me at the time I was actually just getting it for myself and then it was so popular we now do a big order with her and her her cakes and bakes that's mostly our main supplier this is a new cookie from her it's gorgeous Um, she uses almond flour which is basically ground almonds coconut flour um, eggs honey um, and she wouldn't use any other grain. That's right. And then she used flavorings like your peanuts or cocoa or different nuts. But she's a wonderful baker, very creative. Uh, we do lots of lovely truffles as well, kind of like Ferrero Rocher. They're beautiful. Um, so she she does a great job. Yeah, yeah. And she's using coconut sugar in this. I've never yeah. come across that. Yeah, that's another thing. That's a thing now. Exactly. Um, coconut sugar. There is nothing in the coconut plant that isn't used. It's amazing. The coconut tree. Um, the sugar is the refined. Um, uh, resin, I suppose, from the flour, the, the the dehydrated syrup from the flowers, and it and it's granulated, and it's a really lovely sweetener. It gives a lovely kind of um, nutty, toasty flavour. It's a great one for baking. I really like it. I would sometimes say to people, try just try substituting instead of regular brown sugar, which is kind of more or less coloured sugar, really. Mm. Um, but it's lovely quality. It's a bit lower in the glycemic index as well. So I'm not saying you know lash into it and you'll be fine but you can get away it won't um, excite your sugar levels as much as conventional conventional sugar will so there you go it's a nice one okay well I am going to take this with me now and have it with my little cup of coffee <laughs> thanks should. a million for talking to us today the green free diet the paleo diet all very interesting and it's always a pleasure to come and visit you here in Sona's health thanks, food shop Sharon. thank you bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious mmm that was Rosemary Bennis in Sona's health food shop in the heart of Newcastle West in County Limerick. And I must say that grain-free pantry peanut cookie by Mary Ryan was absolutely delicious and went down perfectly with my flat white. So thanks very much, Rosemary. And I looked up the web address for you there and it's thegreenfreepantry.ie if you want to have a look and see what products are in the range. And that brings us to the end of tonight's Best Possible Taste. Thanks so much for listening and to my guests for talking to me, Dee Laffin, Roisin Meany and Rosemary Bennis. If you've missed any of tonight's show or want to listen to previous shows of the Best Possible Taste, be sure to check them out on my website, SharonNoonan.com. And don't forget that there's a wonderful series of events taking place throughout September and October in Limerick City and County as part of the Pigtown Culture and Food Series. And you can get all the information about the events on pigtown.ie Vulture Ireland food champion Tom Flavin who is the executive chef in the Limerick Strand Hotel and a West Limerick man is very much involved in Pigtown and this weekend you'll find him fundraising for the Arda AstroTurf pitch on Sunday he's in Kolkata so be sure to spread the word about the event which will be a great family day out I might see you there but if not have a great week and weekend and until next week Bon Appetit
Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.